Good morning. Beautiful Lord's Day. We want to welcome you to East LJ Baptist Church today. We're so glad you're here. Uh, if you're visiting with us for the first time, and I think we may have a couple here and there, uh, so glad that you're here. And we want you to know that here at East LJ, we've been captivated by Christ. We have seen through the gospel the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. We have seen God's grace and glory given to us through the life, death, and resurrection of His Son. Uh, by which he has provided a way of salvation and forgiveness and grace and right standing before God in Jesus. And he has captivated us. Uh, we as a church exist to spread our enjoyment of his beauty to our world. We want the world to, to see him, know him, love him, enjoy him as we do. And it's our prayer that you would see his beauty today and come to be captivated by him as well. I want to give a quick thank you to all of our youth volunteers who uh, went with uh, Pastor Trey and I to the Southeast Youth Leaders Conference yesterday. Uh, we had a great day fellowshipping together, learning together, being encouraged together. And so thank you to all who were able to join us for that yesterday. Would you stand with me as we read from God's Word this morning? This passage won't be our text, but it will be a passage we come back to uh, during the message later on. John chapter 15, verses 18 to 21. Jesus said, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Aren't you thankful that you know the Lord Jesus through the gospel today if you know him? Boy, we can do way better than that. I mean, you like the Gilmer Bobcats better than that. I heard you Friday night. Aren't you glad that you know the Lord Jesus today as your Savior? Amen. Amen. Part of that is being treated by the world even as he was treated. Sometimes I wonder, does the world know that you know him? Sometimes I wonder if the world knows that I know him because I'm not persecuted. Are you? And so we'll be talking about that this morning. What is it that brings persecution and, and why do we not experience that more? I'm thankful for the gospel. I'm thankful that we know Christ, but you have neighbors and co-workers and friends and family members who have yet to meet him. There are nations all around the world, people groups that have yet to hear the gospel. One such group is the Bushi people um, on a little island called uh, Mayotte. And um, they're an Islamic people group, kind of combined with spiritism. About 72,000 of these people on that island with no believers uh, known among them. And so we pray that I'm going to pray this morning for the salvation of the Bushi people, that God would get the gospel to them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you sent your son and that he came and lived a perfect life in our place, went to the cross to die the death we deserved 
for our sins, even though he never sinned and was the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. Jesus, thank you for dying as our substitute. And I thank you that on the third day you rose in victory so that you could be our Savior. A dead man can't save anyone, and yet you live and are the one and only living Savior. Father, I thank you that when Jesus was here, he told us the truth. He told us what was to come. And this morning, all around the world, our brothers and sisters live the reality of what we just read. What Jesus said about following him and the persecution that would come. And so for our family, our, our forever eternal family, the world over, we pray. We pray, God, that you would sustain them, that you would keep them faithful to Jesus no matter what. And God, I pray that you would use uh, your people nearby to the Bushi people to get the gospel to them at whatever the cost. Father, we pray for our neighbors and to get the gospel to them, our co-workers. There's not really a cost, and yet we remain so often in guilty silence. Move us, Father, to speak, to share of the love that you have for us, for the joy and, of the joy and the peace, the grace that we enjoy, because Jesus laid his life down for us. God, today we want to continue to pray for a number that have been on our prayer list. Thank you that Pat Patterson is here and doing well after some... Uh, surgery this week to remove some skin cancer. We pray for uh, another spot that you would uh, help that to come back well, good as well. Lord, we pray for John Carter. We pray for Luke Gatanaglu. Thank you that all went well with his arm surgery. Especially, Lord, just want to pray this morning for Ruth Jones and Chris Jones, both of whom are um, pretty low, had tough weeks. Um, not doing well. So we pray for them and for the whole family as they care for them. We lift up Ruth Roberts. We pray for Ray Perkins. Uh, we thank you, Father, for answering prayer for Miss Winnie Reese and that she's back with us today. We pray for Jerry Haymaker. And God, for the families of Shirley Waters, Dorothy Harrington, and Leonard Nixon, we continue to pray your comfort, your strength, uh, as they grieve, Lord, thank you uh, for the hope that they, uh, I believe, all have in, in Christ in, uh, concerning their departed loved ones. And, and the, Lord, just the, the truth that they will be reunited uh, one day in Christ in eternity. Father, we thank you for this hour. We know that we're not here by accident, Lord. We know that every moment and every occasion is uh, a divine appointment. And so we pray that you would meet with us today. God, speak and do the work in each heart that you know needs to be done and that only you can do today. So we wait on you, we worship you, we praise you, and we thank you. That you're the God who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or even imagine. And so, Father, glorify your name in answer to this prayer, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Remain standing as we worship in song.
Sadness, wherever you've been, 
Father, how we thank you today for your goodness and your faithfulness to us. Lord, we confess that that is the only reason we ever remain faithful to you. Because you keep running after us and pursuing us. And God, the scripture says, even if we are faithless, you remain faithful because you cannot deny yourself. It's who you are. I thank you that we can come to you as we are. We can't clean ourselves up. We can't fix ourselves. We can't save ourselves. But because you are a good and gracious and merciful God, who gave his own son to be the savior of the world, we can come to you as we are. We can find healing. We can find rest and peace. All that come through the forgiveness and righteousness given to us as gifts through Christ. Father, you have been faithful to us all of our lives. Life's not always been easy. And yet in the difficulties, in the trials, in the pain, you have never forsaken us and you never will. I thank you for the encouragement. When I called to check on Miss Winnie the other day, that she gave me just in testifying to your faithfulness.
Lord, sometimes we get tired. But I thank you that you never grow weary of loving and keeping us. And I thank you for our more mature saints that testify to that and show us with their lives that we have hope for the rest of our lives. And Lord, we have hope that even if times get really bad, and I don't mean just bad days, I'm talking persecution, I thank you that we don't have to fear because you'll be the same God then. You are the same God for our brothers and sisters the world over. You have been throughout all of church history. And you, you're not going to fail now. We praise you. Father, give us eyes to see more of the beauty of Christ. Give us eyes to see our own lives and how we need to be more surrendered to you in various ways and areas. Give us eyes to see where we must be bolder with the gospel. And move us to want to talk about our beautiful Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 22. Thank you to uh, Pastor Trey and all the band for filling in today as Joe was uh, uh, is out of town and uh, appreciate what they do every Sunday and leading us in worship. Um, by the way, it has nothing to do with anything, but... We sang that song, that last one there, at the conference I mentioned to you earlier, um, Southeast Youth Leader Conference. We sang that song yesterday. It's one of my favorite songs uh, in these days. I sound like Joe, don't I? Um, it changes as time goes. But I'm just going to tell you, uh, there was a group up there that d did a great job leading worship, but they ain't got nothing on your worship team, and I'm just telling you. Uh, praise the Lord for the ministry that you guys have to us. And uh, Leslie, thank you for leading that, and Jason and Trey again, and all the other instrumentalists that uh, make it sound so beautiful as we sing. Amen. All right, we're going to be in Luke 22. I just kind of had to get over that, and so I'm going to get a drink of water, and then we'll get started. How about that? <laughs> In 2018, Al-Shabaab militants came for Christian school teachers Philip Okumu and Daniel Wekesa in the middle of the night. They surrounded the men's house in their small Kenyan village that's near the Somali border, and then they tossed a grenade through a window. As flames spread through the concrete block structure, Philip and Daniel 
ran for the door and were shot to death as they exited the building. According to a group of Somali Christian leaders, the men were killed simply for sharing the gospel with their students. Four years ago. Although based in Somalia, Al-Shabaab terrorists moved freely across the country's borders with Kenya and Ethiopia in a region known as Greater Somalia, enforcing their harsh religious standards with brutal injustice. Sharing the gospel in this region is extremely dangerous. Neither the Somali nor Kenyan government has been able to control the Islamic group in this lawless border region, prompting the Kenyan government to urge non-Muslim government workers like Philip and Daniel to leave the area. But the two Christian men chose to stay, however, because they knew the ethnically Somali children they taught would have no other way of hearing the gospel. Their love for the children and their faithfulness to Christ cost them their lives on that night in October of 2018. And even today in 2022, these kinds of stories continue to unfold. Right now, they are unfolding the world over. But they seem so very foreign to us, don't they? And yet, the number of Christ followers the world over being persecuted for their faith, you do understand, far outnumbers those of us who are not being persecuted today. You see, we are the exception. Our story is actually what's the foreign reality in the worldwide church of Jesus Christ. As Jesus teaches us in our passage for the morning, stories like these are, and the title of today's message, The New Normal. This is the new normal that Jesus told us would, in fact, be. The truth I want you to take home as we look in Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 35 in just a moment, is this. Though Jesus' followers, according to him, will be persecuted, we can overcome because the risen Christ lives in us and gives us victory over the world. Luke chapter 25, or 22, verse 35. And he, being Jesus, said to them... Now let me just remind you where we are. We're still in the upper room. It's Thursday night before Jesus dies on Friday there on the cross. Before he's crucified. It's literally just hours before he'll be on, going through a series of trials and... And, and being questioned by both the Jews and the Romans and the whole nine yards and finally condemned to death. And he said to them, in, by the way, also his last teaching to them before he went to the cross. This is the last thing he taught his disciples. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you like anything? They said nothing. Now, the reference there in verse 35 is back to Luke chapter 9 and also chapter 10. In Luke chapter 9, it's the commissioning and the sending out of the 12. And in Luke chapter 10, it's the commissioning and sending out of the 70 disciples. And in both places, 
Jesus sent his disciples out to preach the good news of the kingdom, to heal, to cast out demons, and all sorts of other uh, things testifying to the coming and the entrance of the kingdom of God in this world. Then, at that time, recorded in Luke 9 and 10, Jesus' followers, his disciples, were warmly received. They had all their needs provided. And their ministry of preaching the gospel, of healing, casting out demons, it was all relatively unopposed and, for the most part, even welcomed. They didn't have to take anything because everything was provided for them. People welcomed them, opened their homes, fed them, took care of all their needs. And as we've seen, as we've continued to move through the Gospel of Luke, the disciples, even in this moment in Luke 22, were really still thinking that because of the relatively warm reception they had received, that Jesus was going to soon establish his kingdom on earth by overthrowing Rome, and that they, because they were his boys, would be front and center in the place of earthly power with him. But we've also seen Jesus has been trying to tell them over and over and over again that it wasn't going to happen that way. He's been trying to tell them and help them understand that things were about to change with the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. And so in our text... Jesus comes back once again, and for the last time to this reality, we'll pick it up in verse 36, but what I want you to see in the next three verses, verses 36 to 38, is this. Number one this morning, following the crucified and risen Christ will bring persecution. This is the new normal. Following the crucified and risen Christ will bring crucifix, uh, persecution. Verse 36, he said to them, that's how it was. You're right, nothing happened. You didn't lack for anything. Everything went great before. But verse 36, he said to them, but now, major pivot. Huge change going forward. But now, let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has a sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you, that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. A quote from Isaiah 53, 12. We'll come back to that. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Following the crucified and risen Christ, Jesus makes explicitly clear here, will bring opposition and persecution. Jesus himself, as he mentions in verse 37, Jesus himself was about to be ultimately rejected and crucified. The Jewish leaders had been rejecting Jesus, right? Soon the nation as a whole would join in voices and say, Crucify him! Crucify him! And in the unfolding of that drama just a few hours later, Jesus said in verse 37, I tell you, what would be happening is this. This scripture would be, will be, be, it's going to be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. He died between two thieves, even as prophesied in Isaiah 53, 12. For what was written about me has its fulfillment. 
Again, quoting Isaiah 53, 12, he applies that verse to his coming, suffering, and death on the cross. And in so doing, by the way, he applies the entirety of Isaiah 53 to himself. Let's just read quickly through Isaiah 53, verse 3, beginning in verse 3 through verse 12. It'll be on the screen for you. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for this generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand, which is our salvation. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion among the many, and he shall divide the spoil of the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The New Testament quotes from Isaiah 53, I think it's about six or seven different times. So much that you can see if you just think about the life and sufferings and death of Christ fulfilled in this 800-year-old prophecy by the time Jesus came along. The Jewish leaders thought he was rejected by God. That was their take on him. He was an abomination. And yet it was even for their own sins that he died. We all, like sheep, just in case there's any question, every single one of us, he bore our sins on the cross. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter a sheep before it shears, how they're silent. When tried, he didn't answer back. He didn't defend himself. He allowed, even as he was laying his life down, the greatest injustice of all time, the worst injustice, uh, justice system decision ever made a false condemnation but he allowed it to be made even as God placed on him the iniquity of us all and made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death he was in a borrowed tomb of a rich man named Joseph of Arimathea it was all fulfilled in 
the sufferings and death of Jesus. He bore the sin of many. Oh, what a loving Savior is ours. Amen. Can I just stop right here and tell you this, say this to you? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, this message is mainly to the church, the rest of it. But you have seen Jesus. You have just now heard the gospel. Christ came in fulfillment of prophecy because God said he would come. And he bore our sin, your sin, in his body on that tree. And he died for you. And all, all, all we have to do is nothing. All we have to do is take what's already been done. Here's the bottom line. You can't do anything. The way you get and receive what he is giving to you is the same way you take a gift. You just take it. You believe the giver has given it and wants you to have it, and you take it with open hands, with an open heart, in a simple act of trust. Can I just cry out to you today? Can I just plead with you? Run. We sang about it earlier. Run into his arms today. Come as you are. Run into his arms. There is no better place. And there is no safer place. There is no, listen, there is salvation to be found in no other name. There is nowhere else to run for the safety of your soul for eternity. What a loving Savior that would embrace such rejection and suffering to satisfy the wrath of God toward our sins so that he might give us the gift of salvation. Back in Luke, picking it up back again in our text, Jesus had just explained that what was coming would, coming would fulfill, that is in his death, the scriptures, scriptures of Isaiah 53. But the disciples were caught up on the stuff that he was listing that they were supposed to be gathering to take with them. We're so often that way with God, aren't we? We get caught up sometimes in the details of what's being said in God's Word, and we miss the point. <laughs> we just smooth, smooth out and miss the point. And so they misunderstood particularly the last thing Jesus said, because in verse 38 they said, remember what he had just said, if you, have a, if, if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy, you know, buy one. Get a, get a couple of those. Verse 38, and they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Here's what I believe that means, his answer that is. Enough of that sort of talk. It's as if Jesus is saying in that response, y'all just missed the point. I'm using a figure of speech about self-defense to tell you that you're going to be opposed. Remember, you are unopposed, but now you will be opposed. I'm not telling you to take up a sword and respond to the opposition you're going to come into with violence. I'm not telling you to take the sword and advance the cause of Christ with violence. By the way, this is where the Crusaders totally blew it, right? They tried to expand the kingdom of God with a sword. And yet that's not the gospel. You say, are you sure, Chad? I mean, it sure sounds like they're supposed to go get swords. How can you say that? Well, Jesus makes it clear 
even crystal clear later in chapter 22 as well as other places in the gospel. So let's just look at those so we're convinced. Luke 22, verse 47. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane now. Uh, the whole, you guys pray with me, but wait here, I'm going to go over here and pray. My heart is, is deep in anguish over about what's fixing to happen. Uh, they've just finished up Jesus three times praying, Father, if this cup, if you can take this cup from me, please take it, but not my will, your will be done. Comes back every time and the disciples are asleep. Verse 47, while he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve who was leading them, he drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they could tell they're, they're fixing to take Jesus, fixing to arrest him, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And they're still caught up on these swords. And one of them didn't wait for Jesus to answer. The servant uh, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. We know that was Peter. And boy, that's just typical Peter, isn't it? But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. So here's the deal. If Jesus would have been okay with the sword and the use of it in that moment, guess what he would not have done? Huh? He wouldn't have put his ear back on, would he? He just let that rascal bleed. I mean, he just let him die. Just let him bleed to death out the ear. No more of this, he said. Matthew 26, verse 52, it's even clearer where Jesus stands on this issue. In, in Matthew 26, 52, he said, then Jesus said to them, same, same scenario, Matthew's account. He gives us a little fuller narrative. Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think? that I cannot appeal to my Father, and He will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels. But how then should the Scriptures, like Isaiah 53, be fulfilled that it must be so? You hear what Jesus is saying? Y'all are playing by the world's games, by the world's rules. I don't need your protection by a sword. Don't you know that I've got weapons that far exceed swords? I could call for 12 legions of angels, and in a breath they would be here, and they would wipe these crazy Jews out. That little knife you got over there, even if it was a big knife, I don't need your knife. God is in control. In fact, God's plan according to Scripture is unfolding just like it must unfold. Don't you get it, guys? You're missing the point. I've got to be arrested and die. Or you'll have no hope. Put your sword up. If you live by the sword, just be, a, be warned. You will die by the sword. The, the way of the sword's not my way, Jesus said. Following Jesus will result, will bring into our lives persecution. But number two, 
Following Jesus will bring opposition and persecution because the world hates Jesus. That's what we read at the beginning of the service, John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, he said, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Can I just insert a little princess right there? And, and, and if the world around you loves you as its own, that ought to make you tremble before God. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. They kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Because they do not know him who sent me. So here's the, the picture. Following Jesus brings opposition and persecution because the world hates Jesus. And if I'm a Christian, the, the word originally in, in in the early church, in, in the book of Acts, it means little Christ. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm God's now uh, in, in, incarnated presence of Christ, if, if, if Jesus lives in me and is showing himself to the world through me, if I really know him such that his spirit comes to indwell me, then Jesus will be so clear in me that they'll act toward me just like they acted toward him. Now, let me just clarify. I'm not Jesus. We're not just like Jesus. We're not perfectly Christ-like. No one ever. Okay? To be clear on that. And yet, Jesus said, it, it'll be on account of my name. It'll be on account of how you follow me, and, and, and the fact that I'm always on your lips, and you're, you're telling people that there's only one way to God, only one Savior for, from sin, and it's me. It'll be on account of my name that they will hate you even as they hated me. So followers of following Jesus will bring opposition and persecution, and it brings that opposition and persecution because the world hates Jesus. But thirdly, notice, in, and we move to John 16 for this, Jesus wants us to be prepared for opposition, for persecution. He wanted his 12, first and foremost, right then in the moment to be prepared because they would experience it first. But he wants us all, by proxy, to, to learn from what he taught them. In John 16, verse 1, it says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Persecution's coming. And when people come at you for loving Jesus, you know what the natural tendency of our sinful hearts is to do? To run away from Jesus, to leave him, to, to be unfaithful to him because it's our faithfulness to him that brings the trouble. But I'm telling you all this up front, Jesus said, I want you to be ready to keep you from falling away. And here's the deal. I'm going to be real honest, Jesus said. They will put you out of the synagogues. They'll kick you out of the church. That's the best we can do in our, our world today to try to comprehend what that meant. The synagogue was a huge center of social uh, 
equity in that, in that, in that, in that world. I mean, it was, everybody knew everybody. Public humiliation. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you, kills you. I mean, man, we just ramped it up, didn't we? From public humiliation to death. The hour is coming when, when whoever kills you will think they, that he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. I, I was going to be with you. I was going to walk with you through those days. I, I was going to protect you. There was no chance anything was going to happen to you then because I was here with you. But verse 32 goes on to say, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me, and literally within hours, maybe even minutes at this point in the narrative in Luke 22, as they arrested Jesus, what did the disciples do? They ran. See ya, Jesus. This is big trouble. And I didn't sign up for this. I'm out of here. Every single one of them. Jesus wants us to be prepared for opposition, even for persecution, even for the taking of our lives. That's what he said. And when they kill you, they'll think they're worshiping God and doing it. But Jesus also wants us to know that, fourthly this morning, Jesus has overcome the world. And because he has, through prayer and by the power of the Spirit, we can too. Jesus has overcome the world. And through prayer and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can too. The next verse in John 16, John 16 verse 33 says, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now that's an interesting verse. It's one you're familiar with. We've heard it a lot of times, but what's he really saying there? I'm telling you these things so that in me you may have peace. May, you may have peace in me that transcends and, 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 and defies your suffering. In the world, you'll have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, the picture is not a removal from tribulation, and then peace. The picture is in tribulation, as we are in relationship to Jesus, peace. No matter the tribulation. Because Jesus is greater than the world, I have overcome the world. The world that's going to give you tribulation, the world that's going to persecute you, the world that may even kill you. Get this clear. You don't have to fear. I've overcome the world. I will hold you and carry you even if you die a martyr's death. I'll still have you. And in me you'll have peace. And if you've ever read any of church history, if you've ever taken a look at the uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs, by the way, I commend that to you. Take a look at uh, a book more recently uh, of, of martyr stories called Jesus Freaks. Um, read some of the stories of how the martyrs have died. They have died, hear me, almost without exception in absolute peace. They're not afraid. They're not freaking out. They're not clawing and hanging on to this life. 
They have peace, even in death. Jesus has overcome the world, and because he has, through prayer and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can too. John 14, verse 12, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Does this passage mean that if we just tack a little in Jesus' name, then that's a magic formula and whatever we said before that, God's bound to do because we put in Jesus' name at the end. Is that what that means? No. It means that when we pray in accordance with Jesus' will, with who he, who he is, with what he's about, and what is he about? He said of himself in John 5, he's about the Father's business. He, he does what he sees the Father doing. And what's the Father up to? The Father's up to saving sinners through Jesus, through faith in Christ. What's our job under, under God, under the, the kingship of Christ as followers of Jesus? What's our job? It was called, remember? You remember it? It's called the Great Commission, right? Go make disciples. We're supposed to do what he, he did. We're supposed to go make disciples, call people to follow Jesus, to trust him as their Savior, and to follow, them as, follow him as their Lord. And Jesus said, when you're about that business and you ask me to help you in that endeavor, the Father will answer those prayers. You can bank on this. You won't be alone as you suffer for me. In fact, you'll be empowered in answer to your prayers. I will respond. God the Father will respond, and he'll give you what you ask. He'll sustain you. In fact, the result will be that you'll do greater works than me, Jesus said. Now, does that mean greater in in, in kind, no, means probably greater in number. And that is to say, look at 2,000 years of church history, all that God's done through the people of, through, through, through the people of God called the church. Look at all that God's done. Jesus' ministry was literally limited to an area of about 25 to 40 miles, a very small area. But through the church, the gospel is still today ever moving further out to the very ends of the earth. By the power of the Holy Spirit in the people of God, the church is doing greater works in volume than Jesus did in his limited time here on earth. All in answer to prayer. As we ask God to use us, as we surrender our hearts to him in prayer and give him our lives and, and, and we say, yes, Jesus, you said go make disciples. I'm going to go make disciples. As we ask him to help us and empower us, give us boldness and compassion and love and, and endurance and strength and suffering, he says yes to those prayers and enables a gospel witness through which the nations are being saved. I love John 14. By the way, John 14 to 17, where I'm quoting all this from lately, that's John's version of the upper room discourse there at the time Jesus was talking to his disciples around the Lord's table. It's a much more extended version. John 14, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Verse 23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. How does that work? By the Spirit, right? 
by his Holy Spirit that comes to live in us. He won't leave us as orphans. He'll come and make his home with us. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I'm giving you peace, and that's not just something I'm like, okay, zap, you've got peace. I just told you, after I ascend to heaven, I'm coming to live in you. And my presence will be your peace. It'll be all the power you need, all the wisdom you need, all the strength you need. And my presence in your life will be your peace. Sometimes I wonder if us Baptists are charismatic enough to even understand the words Jesus is saying in these passages. Is that your experience with Jesus? Is his presence that personal in your life? Man, we ought to talk about that more, aren't we? I want to encourage each other with how the Lord is working in our lives. What the Spirit of God is saying to us. Now again, what will the Spirit of God say to me? He will never say anything to me that contradicts this book. But you know what? That's a big book. There's a lot in there for him to tell me. Remind me of. Remember what Jesus said? He'll lead you into all truth. He'll help you understand this book. He'll call it to mind. He'll bring back to, to, to mind in the moments you need it. In the circumstances, you're praying, asking him for wisdom. Man, he'll, 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 he'll bring it back up. He's not going to give you any fresh revelation. But he'll give you some fresh application. Amen? Personal application. This is how this part of God's word applies in my life right now in this decision I need to make. How I need to handle this circumstance. How I need to talk in this particular conversation. What I don't need to say. How I don't need to act. Spirit of God. Take God's word and lead you, even that personally. In 1 John 4, verse 4, John says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, that is the world, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Chapter 5, verse 4 says of 1 John, For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? If we trust Jesus as the Savior sent from God, if he indwells us, then we are those who can overcome the world no matter how the world comes against us. No matter how they oppose us. No matter how they persecute us. No matter if they kill us and think they do service to God in the death, in our death. Because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. I don't know about you, but, but I can think of moments this week when I was talking to a lost person. I know they don't know Jesus. And I'm talking about something stupid. I'm being nice. I'm being friendly. But I'm just saying, we're just talking stupid stuff. And as I look back on those moments, apparently in that moment, you know what happened in my mind and my heart? I forgot that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. But then this fella 
And somehow I was intimidated into silence not to bring Jesus into the conversation. Anybody else have that experience this week? I'm just asking. Yeah, okay. But about six, six people who are honest. <clears throat> you know what makes the rest of you. But anyway. Romans 8. I'm going I'm to need you to stand up for this. Not because the sermon's over, just so you know. It's close. It's close. I'm fixing to read really fast, so I want you to be really aware. It's on the screen. I'm just going to read through a bunch of verses in Romans 8. You ready? If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, listen, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Hallelujah. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of, son, of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You're not glorified. I'm not glorified. It's as good as done, though. No, verse 37, in all these things, all these things, no matter what life throws at you, and the list in verses 34 and 35 and 36 is an ugly list of bad things that can happen to you in this life. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure. Paul said, are you that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is your excuse for not sharing Jesus? I don't have one. Nothing can separate me from his love. Everything in my life, including suffering, he will work for my good. The Spirit of God prays for me when I don't know how to pray. More than that, the power of the very resurrection of Jesus Christ lives in me. I can't say that, he, that I don't have what it takes. He is what it takes. You may be seated. Jesus has overcome the world, and through prayer and by the power of his Spirit, listen to me, we can too. The new normal. This is it. The new normal is us living in the power of the Holy Spirit in suffering. Preaching the gospel to the glory of Christ, no matter what. You see, the job's real simple, and, and we, we read it a lot, too, don't we? 
Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and said to his disciples, this is right before he lifted off, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now that's, we've talked about this before, right? That's not insignificant. Sometimes we leave that off the Great Commission. I mean, here's what Jesus is saying. There is nobody with any more authority than me. I'm the boss of everything and all of y'all. And I got something to tell you. I got something to command you. Go, therefore, because I'm the boss, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. By the way, check this out. He's not just the boss of the ones he's telling to go. He's the boss of the ones he's telling us to go to. Hello? He's got all authority. He reigns over those to whom we're called the witness. Don't miss the point of that. Can I save them? Can I change them? Absolutely not. But the one who has all authority, who gives them their next breath, can change their heart. Even when somebody is feeble and pathetic and imperfect, and often failing, one of the old hymns says. A jar of clay, as Paul calls it, tells them about the treasure of Jesus. Even when somebody like me is the mouthpiece, God can change a heart. Because, hear me, the power's not in me. It's not in the jar of clay. It's in the treasure. It's in the gospel, which is the power, the dunamis, the dynamite power of God into salvation that explodes stony hearts and makes them hearts of flesh that can receive Jesus. We give ourselves way too much credit and therefore let ourselves get way too much in the way when it comes to witnessing. Amen? But then he, he, in, he ends the Great Commission with this, and behold, I, and behold, and behold. Go make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them. But don't miss this. There's one last thing, and behold, I want you to look and hear these words. I am with you always to the end of the age. It's not just the authority he has over us and over those to whom he sends us. He goes with us. He goes with us. Though Jesus' followers will be persecuted, we can overcome because the risen Christ lives in us and gives us victory over the world. I asked the question as we read Scripture this morning, why are we not more persecuted? Well, there's a couple answers to that. The secondary answer I'll give you first, because we live in a free country that is yet, for the most part, still today free. We have the freedom of religion here. We can... We can we can talk about Jesus and not be opposed. I said that's the secondary reason because that's not the main reason in my life or yours. Is it? Is it? No, still no in 2022. It'll always be no. The main reason we're not persecuted? We don't look enough like Jesus we don't talk about Jesus enough to bother anybody. Y'all all right? I'm not. 
Because that's too true for me. Now, if revival falls during this invitation, and I sure am glad I didn't, but if the revival falls during this invitation, and everyone in this room goes out tomorrow and is bold with the gospel, number one, think about that. What might happen tomorrow? I'm talking about on, on August the 29th. What could happen? The gospel is the power of God. But that was a sidetrack in my brain. Where I was actually going in that moment was, if we actually did that, does that mean that we're going to suddenly be in, in danger for our lives? Probably not. But I'll guarantee you, in the mix of people coming to Jesus on August the 29th of 2022, there would be mixed-in stories of people that got ticked off, that were offended by your words, that decided they didn't want to be your friend anymore. There be, might be stories, if you were really bold, that some of you lost jobs. Though Jesus' followers will be persecuted, we can overcome because the risen Christ lives in us and gives us victory over the world. This is to be our normal. Let's pray. Father, it's not our normal. It's far from our normal. We confess our sin. Our sin of silence. Our sin of seeking our own comfort over your glory. Our sin of not having enough love and compassion for hell-bound family members and friends, co-workers, even mild acquaintances, to give them the only truth that can rescue them from a devil's hell forever. May we repent. May it not just be words, but we would ask for your spirit to fall in this moment. We would seek you, God. We would pray that you would work in our hearts and change us right now. We would pray that tomorrow would bring a burst of the gospel into our community through this group of people in this room. God, I pray for any here today, those I talked to earlier, Lord, who don't know you as Savior. They've heard the gospel, but they've also heard the cost of following you. And I pray that even in this moment, they would see your beauty such that they would realize it's so worth it. Whatever sufferings it brings following you, Paul says it's not worthy of comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us when we see him. Thank you for your love. Your love from which nothing can separate us. Thank you that you're with us. We praise you and we give you glory. Take us and use us for your own honor and glory in this world.
and the salvation of men, women, boys, and girls, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together as we close in worship. I've had many tears and sorrows I've had questions for tomorrow Questions for tomorrow. There have been times I.
in God oh through it all through it all I've learned to depend upon his word amen 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 thank you Praise Juliana. You may be seated. Praise God for his work in our hearts and among us today.